Cottony Attorneys and Consultants is dedicated to helping the construction industry with legal, business, and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's episode of Law & Mortar with John Kenny and Trent Cottony. Hey, this is Trent Cottony, CEO of Cottony Attorneys and Consultants. I want to welcome you to another episode of Law & Mortar. As always, I've got John Kenny with me. John, how are you doing? Doing great. Great to be here again. Looking forward to uh, another great upcoming week. Yep, absolutely. So, um been traveling some we've got uh some more on the agenda coming up this week with metalcon uh it's actually uh right in our hometown which is great you know uh it's nice not to have to to travel for this one so we'll go down to the tampa convention center and it's uh two or three days right john yeah no it's nice to be close to home for once in a while it's, it's going to be a good show i think too it looks like a lot of people have registered yeah, you get a good mix of, you know, structural and sheet metal. So um, it'll be good. I know we'll have a booth there. So make sure you check us out. And then also I'm speaking a couple of times on uh, subcontractors and OSHA. So if you're in the uh, area, stop by and see us. Um, John, you know, the, the one thing that I've been getting a lot of questions on, there's still a lot of uncertainty about the um, mandatory vaccination uh, prompts that uh, the Biden administration came out with. And as you know, recently, you know, Biden came out and said that, look, if you're over 100 employees, you've got to either have mandatory vaccination or do routine testing. Um, and then he came out even further and said, look, if you're a federal contractor, you got to get, you know, mandatory vaccination. There's no alternative. They set a deadline of December 8th for that. So it's got a lot of contractors worried and scrambling about it. Uh, I was recently on with the uh, New Mexico roofing contractors. And, you know, that was a big topic of discussion, trying to figure out how to deal with it and what to do. Um, from a legal standpoint, the one thing that I want to make sure our listeners know is that if you find yourself on a project that has mandatory vaccination requirements, uh, keep in mind that you also need to push that down to your subs. So you want a, um, a mandatory uh, vaccination requirement provision in your subcontracts to enforce that. But, John, on the consulting side, what are you hearing? Yeah, it's kind of a catch-22. I mean, there's a lot of projects requiring it, and then I think being 100 employees and under affects a lot of people. Um, I'm getting mixed reaction. I don't think anybody likes to be forced into doing something, and I think more concerns are how do we follow this new mandate when we, you know, if you're not, I mean, pretty much in a nutshell, if you haven't gotten the vaccination now, then I have to make the assumption, like everybody else, that you have decided it's not what's best for you. Again, not getting into politicalness of it and that, but at this point, it's been out for nine months. So if you haven't got it, I'm sure you have reservations that keep you from getting it. So I'm not really quite sure if forcing the mandate is the way to go on an overall big basis, but it seems like it's here. So what we're telling people is, you know, uh, you know, it's going to affect you as far as mixed crews. Um, you're going to have to show you're vaccinated. And I'm not quite sure how they're going to do cross-contamination. If you've got one crew that's vaccinated, go on a project that requires it. If you're under it, and if what happens if they come in contact with another crew? I don't know. I, I think it's kind of the old uh, Pandora's box here getting ready to open up. That That's how I see it. Yeah, it's a mess. And, the, you know, I think there will be a significant amount of legal challenges. In fact, here just recently, Colorado made news with a group of contractors that challenged uh, Denver's mandatory vaccination requirements. So uh, you can anticipate there's going to be a lot of legal challenges. It's going to be very difficult to enforce, so stay tuned for more on that. I um, want to turn to 
uh, OSHA. OSHA made some news here recently with a couple of uh, what I consider to be shocking press releases. Uh, one came out on September 1st. Yeah, that came out on September 20th. And uh, they indicated that they are going to be moving forward with the creation of a rule dealing with heat injury and illness. This is something that I know you and I, John, have talked about as part of the Biden administration. So this is no surprise. What was surprising is they said that basically any project where the heat index is over 80 degrees gives OSHA the capability to come on the job site and ask questions about hydration, water breaks, shade, things like that. Uh, so basically, it, any, it gives them all the justification they need. And I think there's a lot of constitutional issues there, especially when you're in Florida. You know, 80 degrees in Florida is a, a nice winter day for us. So um, I think it's going to, um, you know, prejudice the uh, southern states in particular and give OSHA sort of unlimited, unfettered access to job sites without, you know, really justification. Um, there is going to be a national emphasis program for heat injury and illness, which, which gives them some support to do what they're doing. But this is definitely something that I think contractors need to be aware of and that, you know, we as an industry need to challenge. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, heat injury and illness, you know, huge problem. You know, every year we represent contractors uh, in OSHA defense cases where there are fatalities or injuries related to heat injury. Definitely something we need to watch out for, look out for. Uh, but the, you know, let's go on a job site because it's 80 degrees. I don't think that is a great justification. There's got to be something, uh, something a little bit better that they can do, such as signs of, of heat injury or illness, uh, you know, something like that, rather than just, uh, again, this sort of unfettered access. John, you know, you worked in the industry 45 years. I'm sure you experienced uh, everything from you know, freezing temperatures to uh, brutal heat, uh, working everywhere from New Jersey to Florida. Uh, what are your thoughts on the subject? Well, I definitely think that it's a huge overreach and overcorrection once again. I think it has un probably underlying meanings, so it makes it easier access to get onto a project. But, I mean, let's just take the heat part of it, for example. Um, yeah, you are correct. I mean, pretty much in the southern states, especially here in Florida and good parts of Texas, you know, you're talking eight, nine months of the year you're well above that. Um, it's common practice, especially here. I know when I, a year, 20 years in Florida weather, um, you know, you, you know, heat indexes, we don't even make the heat index warning until we're 115 and above. 105 and 110 in other parts of the country is a major heat index, but it's because of the way, you know, we're used, not used to it, but it's part of our, of our weather patterns here. So that being said, the problems that I see with it, um, we always made sure we had plenty of water, plenty of cold water, plenty of drinking or breaks, the whole thing. We even had cool tents on certain projects that were hot. But that being said, this goes back to you cannot force the employee to drink, even though you give the appropriate. Or do they get dehydrated the night before? Are they? And this is a big problem we had in safety meetings to bring up, too. Are they drinking energy drinks in the morning, which dehydrates them and makes it even worse? So what I'm saying is no matter what, as you as an employer do, if you're doing the right thing, I think this puts some big digs right into it. And it's going to be hard for anybody to comply to that based on those facts. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I think it's a great example of, you know, politicians and agency officials in Washington, you know, writing down regulations, but not really understanding the real world complexities of construction. Uh, and that's why I think, you know, it's important that we speak out because um, as this goes through the rulemaking process, 
you know, uh, we need to make sure that we're heard from a stakeholder standpoint. Um, John, in addition to that, you know, I probably should mention that uh, I've got a speaking engagement at the National Safety uh, Council Expo, which is actually going to be in Orlando this year. Uh, and I'll be talking about uh, the ocean inspection and citation process. Uh, along those lines, I am going to be talking about the uh, new heat injury and illness standards. So if you're in the Orlando area, make sure you stop by uh, the National Safety Expo. What's interesting about this expo, John, this is the first expo that I've attended that actually requires you to upload your vaccination information to a third-party app mm. and present that before you can get access. Otherwise, you've got to present a COVID-19 negative test every day you attend that conference. Um, so uh, pretty advanced, especially for Florida. Uh, so <laughs> that should be interesting. Um, John, we talked about a lot of different things. You know what time it is. It is that time we love called question time from the audience. Yep. And I, I pulled this one out of the bunch because I knew this would be a, a good one for you, John. Uh, and this, uh, is, this question is from Brian, and Brian's question is, uh, John, there, there's some training available for entry-level crew members, uh, but I, I am having difficulty training my superintendents, project managers, and supervisors. Do you have any suggestions on how to properly manage them, and is there any training that you would recommend? Well, um, I guess from a... Uh... Self note, yes, we do. Well, I could tell you, uh, Brian, we have training coming out through our site as, as well, Cotney Consulting, um, dealing specifically with project managers. That's going to be out the end of the month. As you know from following us, we already have estimating out. And then off of the project manager is going to offshoot the um, superintendent's training. Um, I agree, it's, it's very limited what is out there. And some of the stuff that we found really kind of generalizes it more for general construction type project management, project engineer and superintendent. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but all the subworld doesn't work the same way they have to work on that end. Um, other than that, um, there's a, I really don't know of any that's out there specifically dealing with it. Um, in the meantime, you know, at the end, you get the email. Uh, please email me, Brian, and I'm happy to send you a presentation that I just did out in uh, Western States called Empowering Your Field Leaders. There are some good tips in there that you can start doing in-house in the meantime. Yeah, absolutely. And I had the pleasure of actually sitting in that presentation and it was good. You know, I, I really have, um, every time I hear you, John, I'm not just saying this, I, I learned something new. You know, it's, it's incredibly important, um, you know, from the legal side to be able to understand the business nuances of what real world construction is like. So uh, great presentation. I know you got a lot of great feedback and uh, definitely looking forward to um, presenting again next year at Western. Um, definitely a, a great, uh, great expo. Um, with that, John, I'm going to call it quits. I'd like to uh, thank everybody for attending and making us the number one construction law podcast in the world. Uh, if you have any questions for John or I, you can reach me at tcotney at cottonycl.com. John, how can they reach you? That'd be jkenny at cottonycl.com. Great. Thank you guys again, and we'll see you next week.